Good morning, saints. I want to share some thoughts about um, this. I think we have still in our thinking a, a wrong concept that may be tripping us up in our own personal life and in our relationships with other people. And it's this concept. And I want to share some thoughts from the scripture and, and go from there. But it's, it has to do with understanding what Paul meant when he said, the mind set on the flesh is death. But the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. This, this message could almost be like a part two of the last time I shared three weeks ago about how to walk in the spirit, that it's easier than we think, how to walk in the spirit. But I want to talk about this. I want to focus mainly on this concept, this concept that we hear a lot. And that's that we are to, we are to examine ourselves for sin. It's a common thought in the Christian church and in teaching that it's a good thing for the Christian, for the believer to examine and maybe even continually examine themselves for sin. And I hope to be able to show you from the scripture that that is not God's way. No good thing dwells in our flesh. No good thing, the scripture says. And if you examine your flesh for sin, you'll find it. You'll find lots of it. You'll find an unending, as C.S. Lewis once said, it's like an onion that you can just continually unwrap layers and layers and there, until there's nothing left. There's just emptiness left. The mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. God's way is so different from man's way, so different. That's what he meant when he said, I have made the wisdom of this world void. I have made the wisdom of this world useless. Because what he did in the cross and in the resurrection, he brought a new creation. And if he starts a new creation and the old world is still trying to fix the old creation, guess what? The wisdom of the world is useless. That's what he means. Isn't that cool? So this, uh, this thinking that we have to examine ourselves as believers for sin It's not even scriptural. Do you realize there's not a single passage in the New Testament, not a single passage where the apostles taught the church to examine themselves for sin? Not a single passage. Not a single one. The only thing you get close to is where Paul says, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourself to see if Christ is in you. Otherwise, you're still unregenerated. Now, that's a good examination. People should, if they're not sure if they're saved, they need to examine themselves to see if they're really saved. If, if Christ is in them, have they been born again? Have they been regenerated? Do, is, is the Spirit within them? The Scripture says the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We can know that we are the children of God. So that's a good examination to examine yourself. Uh, and that doesn't have to, and that's not something you do every day either, obviously. But there were people in the Corinthian church partaking of the Lord's Supper who were not even believers. And that's why Paul said, examine yourself to see if you're even in the faith discern the body are you in the body or not and because otherwise you're eating you're eating and drinking unworthily the covenant meal that is for believers and that's what he meant by that so that's the closest the apostles get to to examination is like examine to see if you're in the faith if christ is in you and if he is then what do you examine Examine We, we examine christ all the apostolic teachings point us to him Fix your eyes on Jesus, the the apostle said. Set your mind on things above, the spiritual things. 
look at the things of God. We behold the glory of God in the face of Christ. Behold Christ in your inner man. All these things point to him, point to him. And in seeing him, we see who we are in him. For we have been created new in him after his image. It's awesome. It's a totally different dynamic. And it it releases us from being too self-introspective about our faults and weaknesses. And it releases us from being too judgmental with other people. You realize the scripture even teaches don't judge other people, whether they're Christians or not. They're there to judge themselves, whether they're in the faith or not. We're not to judge whether they're in the faith or not. Jesus said, don't worry about what, who's a tear and who's a wheat. He said, let them grow together. You know, he, he said, leave that to me and my mighty angels at the end of time. Only I can separate the wheat from the tares. If you try to figure out who's a tear, who's a wheat, you'll hurt the wheat. That's what Jesus said. And Paul talked about, you know, why are you judging another man's servant? Why are you judging your brother? If he says he's a believer, receive him. You know, encourage him. Because really, if someone is not a believer, what, do we, how, how, what can we do to help them become a believer? We just continue to love them and share Jesus with them. It's up to them to believe or not believe. What if they are a believer and they don't seem to look like a believer, you know, in our judgment, you know, I don't see much fruit on that tree, you know. What we do is we love them and we keep telling them about Jesus. It's the same response. God made this thing simple. We just love them and keep telling them about Jesus and let the Spirit of God work. Let them grow in Him. So, anyway, I just want to, I want us to see that God's way is so simple, so liberating, so freeing. At the soccer game yesterday, I was talking to one of the dads, and I asked him, I, I, I thought this was so cool. I said, I'm going I'm to share this. Um, I, asked, I asked him, his son had been hit in his ankle in the game previous on Friday. And he went down pretty hard, but he got back up and played a little bit. And uh, so I asked him at the game yesterday, I said, how's, how's your, son an- your son's ankle? Is it doing okay? And he's, uh, he's, he's, I think he's Japanese, I'm not sure. So he talked in his dialect. He's such a cool, cool guy, and, and his son scored two of the goals. Great player. But I asked him, I said, how's your, uh, how's your son's ankle? And he goes, he goes, I did not ask him. I did not ask him how it is. Um, because if I ask him, he'll think about it, and he'll, he'll worry the whole game. And he's got to play anyway, so I didn't, I didn't even ask him. I thought that's so profound he goes, he goes I did not even ask him because if, he, if I ask him he'll worry about it he'll think about it the whole game and he'll you know, focus on it so I didn't even ask him and he's got to play anyway so that's awesome that's really the way God is he's not going to ask you about your flesh he, because you'll think about it he doesn't want you to think about it don't set your mind on it. God's not going to ask you about your flesh. This business about the Holy Spirit convicting us of sin, this thing about, you know, God, at, uh, you know, some people say at night, I lay in bed and I ask the Holy Spirit to show me where I sin today and, and the Spirit convicts me of sin and I repent of it. And that's bogus. That's not the Spirit of God. Oh, man. Um, the Spirit of God is sent to show us the deep things of God not the deep things in our flesh. God doesn't relate to us based on our flesh. You know, when he said of, uh, of Isaac, Abraham had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. But when God said to Abraham to take his son, he said, take your only son. Your only son. God didn't recognize Ishmael. 
doesn't recognize the flesh. When you had Jacob and Esau twins born, Esau the flesh, Jacob the spiritual man, God, God wasn't dealing with Esau to help Jacob. Jacob had a problem with Esau. And we got a problem with our flesh. But God didn't work with Esau to help Esau be a better person so he wouldn't hurt Jacob. No, God ignored Esau. He doesn't, he doesn't relate to the flesh. It's all about Jacob. It's all about you, the new man. He opened Jacob's eyes to show him an open heaven, a ladder. He opened Jacob's eyes to see a heavenly dynamic where if his cattle would see something, they would multiply and become what they see. He showed Jacob how, how he needed to depend on him. He showed Jacob his face. Jacob saw the face of God and didn't die. And that caused his name to be revealed. You're not Jacob. You're Israel. So he found out who he was by looking at who God is. That's God's way. And then when he goes all the way full circle back to meet Esau, Esau's not a problem. They meet and they, you know, and the scripture says Esau was at peace. It's God's way. He's not, he doesn't want us focusing on the flesh or the sin, the sin of the flesh because a new creation has come. You know, I shared a while back that I love this analogy about the phones. You know, we talk about the new phone. When you have an old phone that's not working, that's like a picture of the flesh, and you buy a new phone, and you switch service from the old phone to the new phone, and now the new phone works awesome. Well, you don't hang on to that old phone and try to still work on that old phone. You don't even have, you don't even have service to that old phone. That's the way it is with God. It's dead. God says, consider it dead. I don't, I'm not here to clean up your flesh. I'm not here to fix the flesh. I'm not here to fix your old phone. I've got you a brand new phone. Look at all the apps. You've got brand new service. You've got the, you know, I switched you from AT&T to Verizon. No, just kidding. Just kidding. But, I mean, you've got great service, access to heaven. Why are you focusing on the old phone? Throw that thing away. Cast the bondwoman out and her son. Don't focus on the old phone. That's not even going to help you. It even if you got all the pieces right, there's no power to you. So that's what God wants us to see, that we, we are a new creation. A whole new being has been raised by him within these bodies. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. So how do we get this new person out? Where our thoughts change, our words change, our deeds change. That's why Paul said things like, put on the deeds of the new man. Put on the deeds of the new man because the new man already is. You don't do to become a new man. The new man is, Paul says, now put on the deeds of that new man. Let him be seen. Let him be manifested. And there's a way to do that, Paul said. And the way to do that is to set our minds on things above. Through the renewal of the mind, we begin to see who we really are and who God really is and as he really is, full of goodness and mercy and grace and a father who puts pictures on the refrigerator because he likes to brag about us. That's our dad. And that changes everything and causes us, the real us, to come forth. Our true selves. The enemy wants to focus always on the flesh because he knows that up because to look at the flesh is, is not a faith to look at the spirit is a faith Paul said this he, he said this one thing I do and any, anytime the apostle says this one thing I do we, we need to pay attention that's pretty important this one thing I do 
One of the secrets of Paul's life, he goes, this one thing I do, I forget. Forget that which is past. And I go forward. Whereas religion is all about digging up the past. It's all about digging up the past. It's all about focusing on the flesh. Religion is all about trying to fix yourself. It's all about focusing on sins and faults. And, but God's way is not that way. Lord, just help us see these things today. I pray that as we just talk briefly about this awesome way of yours, help us see that your way is a liberating way, a fresh wind. Your yoke is easy. And we find rest for our souls because of your way. Help us see these things, Lord. In Jesus' name. It's going in and out, but hopefully it'll be able to understand. Um, you, can see, you can see this in the very beginning, in the Garden of Eden. When, remember when God said to Adam and Eve, he said, Who told you you were naked? Who told you you were naked? That's a clue right there in the very beginning of how God thinks and how he works. When he said, who told you you were naked? Because that's, that's not God's way. God's way is not to, to look or to show our nakedness. God's way is for us to look to him and look at him. Um, I think of how, um, uh, you know, when Israel was brought out of, out of Egypt, the scripture says that God says, when I see the blood on the doorposts, when I see the blood on the doors of the families, I will pass over. Judgment will pass over when I see the blood. And we know, of course, that's a picture of Jesus' own blood, his death, the lamb that would come. But look what God is looking at. God is looking at the blood. When I see the blood, I'll pass over. So there's another example of God not looking for sin in us so we can change, so we can be perfect, so we can be good enough. He says, when I see the blood, I'll pass over. I think of how they were in, in uh, the wilderness and they, they were bitten by those snakes. My brother Robert teaches a message on this which is so powerful, how they were bit, being bitten by snakes in the wilderness. You know the story and, and God told Moses to put a bronze serpent on a pole it's the same thing that you see in the medical field now. That same symbol of, of uh, medicine is the serpents wound together by a pole with the wings. It's a picture of... That's where we, we get that from God telling Moses to put a bronze serpent on a pole. Bronze in the Old Testament speaks of judgment. Bronze was, was uh, something that had, speaks of judgment. Something has been judged. And so, and God told Moses, tell the people that when you lift the bronze snake up, Tell them to look, look at the bronze serpent. If they look, all who look will be healed of the snake bites. Another picture of God's way. He didn't say look at the snakes and avoid the snakes. Learn all about the snakes so you can step around the snakes. Be familiar with these snakes. There are some good ones, some bad ones. Learn all about the snakes. Watch where you're walking. Watch your feet. No, God says forget the snakes Look up at a bronze serpent and you'll be healed. God's way. 
is not to focus back on the snakes and, and the sin and how we walk in the flesh. Look at him. And then Jesus said, as Moses raised the bronze serpent in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. And Jesus said, when the Spirit comes, he will testify to us that the prince of this world has been judged. The snake is a picture of Satan himself from the Garden of Eden. It's a picture of evil being judged. God has judged it. God has judged it in Christ. He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He reconciled us in his fleshly body, the scripture says. God has prepared a body for the Son. Hebrews says, Thou hast prepared for me a body that I might offer it. The judgment fell upon him. That's the bronze serpent. So once again, God says, Look at my son. Look at my son's work. Don't look at your sin. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Awesome. And then the, the apostles, you know, talked so much about, um, about, you know, fixing our eyes on the Lord, fixing our eyes on heavenly things and setting our minds on the things of the Spirit because without, without um, I mean, with doing that, there's no room for us to put our eyes on sin or put our eyes on the flesh. But I think one of the key things to, to really understand is what the Scripture says about the conscience because that's what trips us up sometimes, I think. Um, if you look at, let's look at the Gospel of John, chapter 8. Gospel of John, chapter, chapter 8, verse Who has the, uh, the King James Version, possibly? Okay. Can you read the John chapter 8, verse 9, please? Yes. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. Yes. That's, of course, the scene where they, they caught the woman in the act of adultery and brought her to Jesus, and, and they wanted to stone her. And Jesus said, he who has no sin, let him cast the first stone. And that, in the Greek there, it's the word conscience. The, the conscience is what convicted them one by one. They began to leave one by one. wasn't the Spirit of God convicting them, but their own conscience. And... Because the Spirit had not yet been given until the Lord is glorified. It could not be given, John says. So that's, that's a conscience conviction from the law, really, because they, their conscience was convicted that, through the law that they had sin. And so the oldest to the youngest began to leave, and they didn't stone her to death. Okay, now look at this. Romans 2. Oh, that, by the way, is the only place in the entire Bible where the word conviction is found. Only place. 
right there. It's amazing how that is like we would think it's everywhere. And that's the only place in the entire Old and New Testament where the word conviction is found. Um, Let's look at Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Take a look at this. This is really cool. Romans chapter 2. No, conviction. Yeah. Where it says they were convicted. They were convicted by their own conscience. Yeah. Yeah. There are several other places where the word conscience is used. Yeah. Because we, we hear that all the time. You know, the Spirit convicted me of this. Or I've been convicted of that and convicted of that. It's just a terrible word to use. I mean, it's, it's used once in the entire Bible of a scene where legalistic Pharisees were trying to condemn this woman caught in adultery. And Jesus said, you know... You who are without sin cast the first stone. And they were convicted by their conscience that they had sinned, so they left. And we use that, Christians use that all the time about, you know, just talking about how, you know, I'm convicted of this, convicted of that. And we just, we speak death to ourselves because the word, as you know, the word convict means to be found guilty. You know, a convict, someone who's convicted by a court of law. It's, uh, it's a word of condemnation. It's a legal term, conviction. And it's just not, that's why you don't hear the apostles ever saying that in their letters to the saints. They would never say that. Paul would never say, you know, if you're convicted of sin. I mean, he would never say that. He would say, you need to be convinced of your righteousness, which is totally opposite. Okay. Um, I know. That's why I wanted the King James Version to be read, because some don't even use that word convict. Now, there is, a, there is another place that um, it's not the same Greek word for conviction, but there is another place in John, the Gospel of John, where it says the Spirit is sent to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But that's actually a different Greek word. It's actually convince, um, but it is translated in some translations convict. But the actual original Greek word is actually conviction, and that's only used once. You know, but that other phrase in uh, the Gospel of John, the Spirit is sent to convict the world of sin or convince the world of sin because they believe not on Jesus. That's the, the, that is proper. The Spirit convinces the world of sin because they believe not on Jesus because that's the only sin that remains. The only sin that remains is a rejection of the one who took away all sin. So even the Spirit's not even de- uh, delving into the intricacies of the flesh. The Spirit's looking at the big picture and saying... What is the issue is your unbelief in him. Because in him removes all sin. Unbelief in him means your sin remains. Jesus said you'll die in your sin if you don't believe. So the, the Holy Spirit is all about Christ. It's all about Christ. The Spirit is showing the unbeliever that it's all about belief in Christ. And the Spirit will convince a person of sin because they believe not on him. Second thing, Jesus said the Spirit will convince the believer of righteousness. Second thing, righteousness, that's, that's the believer, because he goes to the Father. That's shorthand for the Lord saying, because I a, a complete a finished work, or, or my work will be finished. When Jesus says, because I go to the Father, when he uses that phrase, because I go to the Father, he's talking about going to the Father through death, resurrection, and ascension. So that shorthand, that's shorthand for my work, when my work is complete. For the Spirit will convince 
the saint of righteousness. Why? Because I go to the Father. Because I'm going to finish everything I've come to do. And the third thing is that the Spirit is sent to convince us that the prince of this world has been judged. The, the devil has been judged. Those three things. But the point I'm trying to make really is that we, we put so, uh, so much emphasis on that word. And it's not even used in the scripture like, like we think it, it is used. Now let's take a look at this real quick in Romans 2. Romans 2. Uh, let's see, let's go to verse, I guess verse uh, 14. Who would like to read that for me, please? Uh, verse 14, 15, and 16. Romans 2, any translation would do? Yeah, great, thanks. Indeed, when Gentiles do not have the law, do by nature, is required by the law. They are a law themselves, even though they do not have the law. Since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and the thoughts now accusing, now even even defending them. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. Right. right. Now, Paul is setting up Romans. This is the beginning of Romans. And he's saying that the fallen man has a conscience. And the fallen man, we all have a conscience. And the conscience will either accuse us or defend us based on what we're doing. And he says, but, but um, the, the judgment at the end is not going to be based on how good we're doing or not doing. But it's going to be based on one man, Jesus Christ. So, in other words... At what he's referring to in that last verse is that at the, at the end, those who are as Jesus is or those who are joined to him are considered are, are declared righteous even as they are now. And those who do not have him or not in him will be judged according to their deeds. But the point I want to make in this, in this uh, phrase, this scripture, notice it's the conscience that accuses us, not the spirit. It's the conscience that accuses us or defends us because we would do something good and our conscience says that's good, good job. We'll do something bad and the conscience accuses us. The scripture says that as a believer, the, there is a higher law or higher power or higher authority than the conscience. In Christ, it is the very word of God that is higher than the conscience. And the word of God to us as believers is that Jesus has actually taken away our sin. He's removed our sin. And that there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. So it's very important that we realize when your conscience condemns you, as John said, if your heart condemns you, or the inner conscience, not so much the heart, but the conscience, if your conscience condemns you, Remember, God is greater than your heart or greater than your conscience, for he knows all things. So it's important as a believer to distinguish between a conscience, an inferior authority, which is the conscience, condemning you for something and not letting and, and not remembering the truth of the higher authority. A complete forgiveness and removal of sin and a state of no condemnation. Does that make sense? 
It's very important because that's, that's how we got this stuff. Like the Spirit's convicting me of sin. As we read in the passage, they left one by one from the stoning because they were convicted in their conscience of sin. So if you don't, if you don't really see the new creation, what will happen is the conscience will become a greater power in you, a greater authority than the authority of Christ himself. Peter says this. Peter says that through, through water baptism, not, not really the baptism, baptism itself, but faith in Christ. Peter links faith in Christ and being put through the water baptism as giving us a good conscience toward God. And Hebrews talks about our conscience has been cleansed or sprinkled clean because of the blood of Christ. So the conscience, when you see that you, you and I have actually moved from death into life and no longer under condemnation, the conscience then must submit to the higher authority. And you can actually have a good conscience toward God, even though you're not living perfectly and acting perfectly because of your faith in him who took our sin. You see what I'm saying? It's so powerful. But if you don't see that, it's easy to mistake the conscience for the Holy Spirit and live a life of, of uh, talking like that. The Spirit convicted me of sin. Um, I'm asking the Lord to forgive me of sin. Um, I'm repenting all the time of sin. And that whole mindset is the mindset on the flesh. For the mindset on the Spirit is really not a lifestyle of repentance. It's not true that the believer should be repenting all the time. In fact, Hebrews says, let us not lay again the foundation of repentance from dead works. We move on to a, a reality whereby we really are wrestling another reality. The renewal of the mind is what takes place all the time. The renewal of the mind is constantly happening as a flower opening up, as the sunrise rising. But this idea that our whole life is lived as a believer in a sin consciousness focused on the flesh, focused on the sin, trying to, always repenting, always getting forgiveness, always trying to get better, is a deception. It's not the truth. Even Hebrews says, uh, if the worshipers had once been cleansed, they would no longer have any consciousness of sin. doesn't mean you don't have a, an awareness of what is flesh and what is spirit, but it, it's an awareness that I'm not in my sin anymore. I'm not condemned anymore. There's no, there's no sense of guilt and condemnation because of what Christ did. And that's how we can forget that which is past, Paul did, and move forward. And move forward and live more and more in this reality of who we really are in him. So, and, and one of the main reasons this is not done is because we don't see the new creation. When God... When God circumcised our body away from our inner man, the true spiritual circumcision, he cut away the body of the flesh with his own hand, Colossians says. He cut away the body of the flesh and he raised the inner man up and translated us to another dimension. The new man is actually in Christ in another dimension, in the spirit. This is the new man right here. Yes. Right. And that's why, that's why the scripture says I, the Lord's going to do a mysterious work, a very strange work, an unusual work, and he will remove our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. How can he do that? Because we all sin at times as a believer. So how can, how can sin be removed from us and never again touch us? Because we literally have been translated 
from the kingdom of this darkness, we were, we were under this kingdom, we have been translated to the kingdom of the beloved son. We are under a brand new kingdom, another realm. We literally have been moved into where he is. This is the place that he came to prepare for us. That's why it can be said that we are seated with him in heaven. That the spirit wants us to focus on. If we focus on the sins of the flesh that are still in this body, because what he did was he cut this part out and moved it over here and joined it to himself. If we are looking back at these spots and trying to fix something that's in the body, you see how that's wrong? That's why Paul learned in Romans 7, he learned that, that as, as, as good as he tried to be as a believer, if he didn't understand the spiritual reality, the law, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, he always found this other law overcoming him in his mind, bringing him into captivity because he never saw, he didn't see this clearly at first. He's describing how his growth in understanding the way of the spirit in Romans 7 and 8. And so for us to go back and try to go and fix ourselves in the flesh is totally backwards. Um, that's... God, what God did is so amazing. It's mysterious. He left the power of sin in the members of our body, the apostles taught. It's the members of the body, the actual body itself. And he actually cut away the inner man. That's why he says the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit's alive because of righteousness. He says the outer man is decaying every day, getting older and older because of the power of sin that's working in it. But the new man is being renewed every day. So our eyes are to be focused on the new man. We're fo to be focused on the new creation. We're we, to be focused on this new reality, our new identity. We are Israel. We're not Jacob. And we're not worried about Esau. And so as we do that, we realize, wow. And at times as we stumble, because we have this treasure in earthen vessels, we stumble at times and the conscience will trigger sometimes. You know, and if we don't understand the truth, we'll let the conscience condemn us, bring us down. Like the soccer dad that says, I'm not going to ask my son about that because he'll just, he'll just think about it all the time. And God does not want us thinking about our faults and our failures and our weaknesses. He doesn't want us to. He's like, forget that. Don't be afraid. Peter says, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. He was focused on his sin. And Jesus says, don't be afraid, Peter. Believe only. Come to me. That's God's way. That's God's way. The enemy wants you focused on your flesh on your faults, on every t all, the, all the things you've done. And any ounce, any ounce. Um, Jeremy, who spoke here weeks, months ago, Jeremy emailed me this brother who wrote back in the 1600s. I forget his name now, but uh, get a, a copy of it. But he wrote back in the 1600s. This brother really saw this. And he said, um, he said if there's any, any bit of condemnation in your conscience, just if you allow it to stay there for one second, it opens the door to more sin. And he's right, because God, that God, the power of the flesh works off, condemn, off of condemnation. And that's why the power of the gospel is there's no condemnation. And the enemy can't get a foot and accuse you, can't get you looking at yourself as not as, as, not as you really are. And so it's, it's, it's imperative that we, we stand firm. In the, in the, that's why Paul says the shield of faith will quench every fiery dart of the enemy, every accusing dart, everything that comes at you and says you're weak, you're, you're an idiot, you're foolish, you're, you're not a believer, you're not holy enough, you're not righteous, you're 
stuff that comes from the enemy. The Lord says, be strong and stand firm in the reality of who you are, who I am in you. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. God doesn't want you focus on your faults, our weaknesses, our failures for one second. David lamented the fact that, you know, David committed murder to hide his adulterous affair and Bathsheba had a baby and the baby died. And all of David's friends thought he's going to go crazy now. He's going to totally be overcome with sorrow and he's because he didn't want that baby to die. Standing God, the ways of God, Scripture says he got up, anointed himself, and worshipped. He put it behind him. Adultery, murder, a baby's death. It's a picture God is showing us that how great God's mercy is, how great God's grace is. And, and religious people cringe at that because they, they, they don't understand God's grace. He anointed himself and he worshipped. And Bathsheba's next baby was Solomon, as if it never had happened. And God blessed Solomon. That's awesome. That's the grace of God. It's the power of the cross. It's the power of the cross to, to remember. That's why the covenant meal is so powerful. When the enemy comes at you and tries to convict you and condemn you, that's when the Lord says, eat the bread, drink the wine, remember me. For under the old covenant, there's a, there was a remembrance of sin all the time. Under the old covenant, Hebrews says, remembrance of sin all the time. But not so in the new covenant. There's a remembrance of him for in this new covenant, I'll remember your sins no more. And I'll be merciful to all your iniquities. Come boldly to a throne of grace to find help and mercy in time of need. It's so awesome. God's ways are so awesome. It's, it's like, you know, he lavished his grace upon us, the scripture says. It's, he lavished it upon us. He doesn't want us to feel condemned for one second. And see, the religious mind says, if you, that will lead to more sin. No. God's way, God teaches that condemnation leads to more sin. Condemnation leads to more sin because then what happens is you lose the way of faith. You lose sight of who you are. You lose sight of God's goodness. All that stuff. The enemy begins to pounce on you. And then, then your eyes are earthbound. And all you, you live by what you see. And Paul says, look not on that which is seen, but that which is unseen. It's a whole new way of living by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. And the reality comes forth. And that's why we need each other, to encourage each other. When we stumble, we fall, we remind each other of who we are, how much God loves us. Arms and hands and feet to tell each other how much God loves you and, and encourage each other in the truth. That's, it's okay, brother. It's okay, sister. We all stumble in many ways in these bodies. We're trying to you know, live by Him, learn to live by Him, and be encouraged. Nothing has changed. With Nothing has changed. He's still talking to Jacob, trying to get Jacob to see the open heaven. He's not dealing with Esau. He could care less about Esau. He doesn't recognize Ishmael. You're Isaac. You're the son of laughter. Awesome. That's God. Lord, thank you so much. Help us see your way. It's freedom. Liberty. Wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Because we are the sons and daughters of God. We who were not a people have become the people of God. Open heaven. Oh Lord, open heaven. Father, I pray that your love would so hold us and comfort us today by the Spirit of God. 
that we would learn to examine you and not ourselves. The flesh. flesh, but we look into the spirit, into the reality. But the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. For you are higher the thoughts of our minds. A greater authority has come. An authority from heaven. An authority that sits on the throne and says, You are forgiven. You are forgiven. Peace, my child. I did it. I did it. Amen.